0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
1: Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 2, Episode 14, Vimy Ridge Part 1, The Battle. You see, April 9th to 12th, 2017 marks the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Vimy Ridge. In honor of this, cool Canadian history will take a look at this iconic battle. Vimy Ridge is certainly the most famous battle in Canadian history, and one that has certainly occupied the historical imaginations of most of Canadian society. Even in a society like ours that does not traditionally celebrate, or commemorate, or even really teach much about our own military history, Vimy Ridge has somehow remained, linked not just to the battlefields of the First World War, but to key ideas about Canadian identity and nationalistic pride. In this two-part series, we will first examine the battle and then in Part 2, examine the efforts at making this battle into the mythic status it enjoys today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook and SoundCloud just by searching Cool Canadian History. You can, of course, find us on iTunes under Podcasts, where you can download our episodes for free. You can find me on Twitter with the handle at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S, And of course, you can always find us at our home, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. And if you check out our website, at the bottom of the page, there is a little donations tab, courtesy of PayPal. This makes it very, very easy for you to donate to the podcast. And every donation is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this bi-weekly history podcast. Okay, so let's get a general picture of things. We'll go back to March 1917 on the Western Front. At this time, four German armies, so the 1st, the 5th, the 6th, and the 7th, have begun to withdraw into an extremely well-prepared defensive position known as the Hindenburg Line, or as the Emperor from Star Wars would say, Fully Functioning Defensive Position Now, why were the Germans doing this at this time? Well, it was a combination of strategic priorities. Firstly, there had been operational pressure put on them as a series of small British offensives had weakened the long German line. There was also tactical pressure as the new Hindenburg line afforded the Germans a very dominant defensive posture. Basically, by going backwards, they were making themselves stronger. Once again, the British and the French had planned to launch coordinating offensives in the spring of 1917. They weren't just going to let the Germans sit comfortably in the Hindenburg Line. The British offensive would come to be known as the Arras Offensive. Vimy Ridge would make up one of the most important portions of the first part of the Arras Offensive. Now, it was Julian Bing was the commanding officer of the Canadian Corps, that was informed that his corps would be responsible for taking the ridge. Now, things in the region began rather ominously for the Canadians in what was known as the Vimy Raid of March of 1917. This raid is quite interesting. In that 4th Division, this is the 4th Canadian Division, under General David Watson, planned a 1,700-man raid against the strongest German point on Vimy Ridge, known as Hill 145, and will come to play a significant part in the actual battle. Now, Watson wanted to utilize gas, but gas against a high point meant it would sink downwards, unless it was pushed along by a strong wind. Of course, gas sinks to the lowest point. Two Canadian battalion commanders actually objected to the attack, saying that using poisonous gas was too unpredictable, but Watson overruled them. On March 1st, after about two days of delay, the raid was launched. Now, the gas was launched in two waves, the first one being pushed by the wind into the German trenches. However, the second wave was actually cancelled due to shifting winds, meaning the wind was turning back towards the Canadians. Yet, in one section of the Canadian attack, they did not get the order to not release the second wave. They thus released the second wave of gas, only to have it come right back into the Canadian trenches. The gas that made it to the German trenches had very little effect. Simply put, the Canadians advanced against withering German fire. When they went to dive into shell holes, they found that they dove into holes full of the poisonous gas they had released. And of course, the Canadians in 12th Brigade's sector had suffered casualties from the gas they released coming right back at them. Now, this was supposed to be a hit-and-run raid, meaning... The Canadians launched the raid and very quickly turned around to come back without making any effect on the Germans. In fact, the carnage was so bad that the very next day a German officer walked into no man's land with a white flag and offered a one day truce for the Canadians to collect their dead. Several German soldiers even helped gather together some bodies that had fallen closer to the German lines. The toll was devastating, 687 wounded and dead and missing, 43% of the raiding party. Not only was this a rough start for the Canadian Corps, but they were now very much aware that the Germans were fully prepared to defend themselves on Vimy Ridge, and they were very much aware that Hill 145 would be a difficult nut to crack. Now, it's important to understand that the ridge was one of the most tactically important positions in the entire region. Frankly, most of the area was flat, and any high point was extremely valuable, while the ridge was an extremely significant high point. It overlooked the entire Dewey Plain to the east of it. The city of Lens could be seen to the north, and the city of Arras could be seen to the south. In fact, one Canadian observer wrote, More of the war could be seen from here than anywhere else in France. Vimy Ridge was also a pivotal link in the Hindenburg Line, connecting the trenches south of it to the trenches north of it running to the Belgian coast. The ridge had changed hands numerous times in the early days of the war, primarily between the French, the Germans, and the British. However, since the Germans had last occupied it in 1915, no one had been able to remove them from it, and both the French and British had tried. For two years, the Germans had continually reinforced their positions on Vimy Ridge. Notable key spots were the strongest point along the ridge on Hill 145 and the highest point overlooking Hill 145 known as the Pimple. So the Canadians would face three key lines of defense interspersed with machine gun nests, Bunkers, strong points, all sighted by German artillery and all on ground that dominated the approaches, meaning the Germans could see the Canadians. The attack would be carried out in four stages. Each stage would be indicated by a colored line on the map handed out to the men of the Canadian Corps the black line, the red line, the blue line, then the brown line. The attacking order would be like this if we were going from north to south, The 4th Division would be attacking west to east, the most northern flank of the corps. then below them to the south would be the 3rd Division, then the 2nd Division, then the 1st Division taking the right flank or the southern flank. This meant that all four divisions were lined up in a row numerically from north to south, 4-3-2-1, attacking from west to east. A strict timetable would guide the infantry as it advanced over all four of the lines. If the schedule was to be kept, then the idea was the Canadians would have most of the ridge in their hands by 1.20 p.m. at a depth of 4,000 yards. This strict timetable was also necessary because the artillery was going to use a creeping barrage that would creep forward ahead of the infantry, moving at a very set timetable. Now, what's interesting is, and people don't really realize this, is eight tanks were actually given to 2nd Canadian Division for their assault. But just to spoil the story, by the time in the war, nobody put much faith in them making a difference, and they ended up barely even making it to the starting line. Now, we need to understand that artillery was king of the First World War battlefield. The Canadians were allotted a massive amount of artillery to support their attack, something like 245 heavy guns, 600 field artillery pieces. They could even call on 1st British Corps' 132 heavy guns and 102 field pieces. Essentially, the Canadians could call on one heavy gun for every 20 yards of frontage and one field gun for every 10. With this firepower, they could litter the ridge with artillery shells. Now to get all these shells, these men, these guns, and all this equipment forward, 25 miles of road had to be built, repaired, and maintained to ensure a continual supply of men and material in preparation for the assault. And you might be saying to yourself, well, wouldn't the Germans, from their heights on the ridge, be able to see everything going on? Yes. The answer to that, though, was going underground. A number of Canadian tunneling companies built something like eleven different subways, totaling nearly four miles in length. Hundreds and if not thousands of Canadian soldiers spent much of their time preparing for Vimy Ridge underground. One of the largest caves built and dug out even had room for an entire battalion, that's a thousand men. In these tunnels, you'd see things like reinforcements moving back and forth to the line, you'd see casualty clearing stations, you'd see headquarters, logistical supply depots. As well, in the very rear of the Canadian lines was constructed a replica of the battlefield. It would have flags and markers denoting German trenches and German strongpoints. You see, while in reserve, the men of the Canadian Corps rehearsed constantly from the division on down to the platoon level. Day in and day out, the Canadian soldiers who were going to participate in the attack practiced, rehearsed, and drilled on this mock battlefield, all according to the strict timetable that was going to be laid out. Infantry and artillery were going to work together like the Canadians had never done before. On the 2nd of April, the full power of the Canadian artillery suddenly opened up in what the Germans would come to call the Week of Suffering. At the same time that the Canadians were bombarding the German positions, small nightly raids would be launched, keeping the Germans off balance, carrying out reconnaissance, capturing prisoners. As all this was going on on the ground, a whole new battle was being fought in the skies, one that was very new to warfare. This was the British Flying Corps, playing a significant part in detailing German positions, artillery, guns, troop buildup, trenches. You'd also see British planes and German planes engaged in constant dogfights as they fought for control of the skies.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: Now, one of the interesting things to keep in mind about the attack plan being devised by Julian Bing was simply that Bing wanted to surprise the Germans. You see, the strength of the German defense was that by the time the artillery had lifted or stopped They were able to hustle out of their dugouts and their trenches to man the firing step, to man their machine gun posts, and provide that wall of fire against any attackers. By launching the week of suffering, it not only demoralized the Germans, but it made them unsure of when the Canadians would actually attack. As well, Bing decided to scrap any sort of preliminary artillery bombardment before the actual assault. The Canadian soldiers would leave their trenches at the very same time that the artillery launched their creeping barrage. The idea was the Canadian soldiers would arrive at the German positions before the German soldiers had had time to get out of their trenches or their dugouts and man the firing line. In the very early morning of the 9th of April, as a cold frost settled on the ground, Canadian troops moved out of their tunnels and their dugouts into the forward positions in preparation for the assault. It was at 5.30 a.m. on Easter Monday, 1,000 guns launched their assault at the very same time that the Canadian infantry moved out into no man's land. 1st Canadian Infantry Division, under General Arthur Currie, overran the German front lines before most of the enemy were able to even get out of their dugouts. Henry Burstall's 2nd Division had much the same experience. As expected, his eight tanks barely made it past the starting point. It is worth mentioning that one member of the 2nd Division had won the Victoria Cross in those early hours of that morning, Lance Sergeant E.W. Sifton of the 18th Battalion, and it reads, Spotting a hidden machine gun that was causing casualties to his battalion, he leapt into the German trench and overthrew the gun, bayonetting every one of the crew. Then, as a party of Germans advanced on him down the trench, he held them off with bayonet and clubbed rifle until his comrades arrived to end the unequal fight. Sifton would go on to win the Victoria Cross, but he was shot and killed by one of the very Germans that he had wounded. Like 1st and 2nd Division, Major General Louis Lipset's 3rd Division met little resistance, as the Canadian heavy artillery had utterly destroyed German resistance nests. By the time the Canadians arrived on the German positions, they were frazzled and beaten. By 6.25 a.m., the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Division had captured the black line, the first line of objectives set for the Canadians. Fourth division, however, who we will talk about in a bit, was having far more trouble. Now after a short pause, all three divisions, 1, 2, and 3, set out, and by 3 p.m. had captured all of their objectives and sat astride the final line, the brown line, looking east over the Dewey Plain. Now, on the very left flank of the Canadian Corps, the 4th Division was struggling against Hill 145. This was the strongest position on the entire ridge, and as long as it remained in German hands, they could bring artillery fire onto all the Canadian positions all across the ridge, as well as observe all Allied movement approaching the Vimy sector. Obviously, the hill needed to be taken. Unlike the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Division, however, 4th Division was unable to capture the hill on the 9th of April. They had to rest and recuperate and get ready to capture it on the 10th. There was four lines of trenches protecting the hill, including deep tunnels. German troops were building up on the reverse slope, where they could avoid the Canadian and British artillery. In order to surprise the defending Germans... Major General David Watson ordered six long assembly tunnels to be dug into no-man's land. The idea was that the Canadian soldiers would pop out of these assembly tunnels roughly 150 yards in front of the German trenches. In the early hours of the morning of April 10th, the 4th Division attacked with the 11th Brigade on its right and the 12th on its left. Both assaults stalled, and the Germans up on the Pimple, even higher than Hill 145, were able to direct murderous fire onto the advancing Canadians. Regardless, the 85th Battalion, known as the Nova Scotia Highlanders, made a desperate charge to capture part of Hill 145. By this point, both the 11th and 12th Brigades were spent. Thus, the 10th Brigade came up out of reserve, and by 3.30pm, on 10th of April, had captured Hill 145. All that remained was the Pimple. Now, because Watson had been forced to use all three of his brigades in 4th Division, he needed to give them time to recuperate before striking out against the final position on the ridge. You see, the Pimple was just to the north of Hill 145, and it was certainly now the last strong point being held. The Germans had in fact put a fresh battalion onto the Pimple on the 11th of April. The Canadians were going to be in for a tough fight. Now a driving snowstorm came in on the night of the 11th, and thus as the Canadian soldiers prepared to assault the pimple on the very early hours of the morning of the 12th, this driving snowstorm would provide camouflage for the Canadians as they advanced. And advance they did. At 5 a.m., the Canadians attacked under a massive artillery barrage. Within one hour, the pimple had fallen. Vimy Ridge was now in the hands of the Canadians. So what were the end results of this battle? Well, the Canadians had advanced 4,500 yards. They had taken over 4,000 prisoners and inflicted unknown casualties on the enemy. The cost was high, though. 10,000 casualties were inflicted upon the Canadians, including 3,598 dead. The French called it an Easter gift from Canada to the French, and French officers began to arrive at Vimy Ridge shortly after the battle to study the Canadian victory. King George V of England personally congratulated Canadians on their victory. Certainly a great tactical victory had been won at Vimy. The unprecedented amounts of artillery used with extensive planning and preparation, coupled with tactical surprise, had resulted in the Canadians capturing what had previously been thought an impregnable position. For Canada, the battle had proven what a dangerous fighting force the Canadian Corps had become. For the first time, all four divisions had attacked side by side, and they had achieved an immense victory. The tactics and doctrine used at Vimy Ridge would be a fighting method that would make the Canadian Corps one of the most dangerous forces on the Western Front. But let's keep in mind a couple of things. 10,000 casualties for 4,500 yards. Up to that point in the First World War, 4,500 yards has seemed like an immense success, but let that sink in, 10,000. The Germans were also still in a very strong defensive position up and down the Hindenburg Line. It had not been broken yet. The Canadians and their Entente allies still would have to grind it out further and further to try to dislodge the Germans from this fully functional defensive position. This means that although an impressive tactical victory that cemented a strong reputation for the Canadian Corps, strategically, nothing major had really happened. Battles like Hill 70, Lenz, Passchendaele, and of course the combat of the Hundred Days Campaign were still to come. The Canadian Corps was still to be defined. Next episode, we'll find out how Vimy Ridge became the iconic battle that it is known for today. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com, and of course you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris.
0: Take care.